This is Conducting Business. I'm Naomi Lewin. We've said it before here on Conducting Business, but it bears repeating. According to industry data, only about 4% of orchestra musicians in the United States are black or Latino. Last month brought new evidence of the effects of this disparity. The National Endowment for the Arts published a study showing that just 5% of classical music audiences in 2012 were African-American, compared with 83% who were white. So can diversity on the stage or in arts administrations and boards help create a more diverse audience? Are there artists or organizations that are taking greater action? We will get three views on this today, starting with Aaron Dworkin, president and founder of the Sphinx Organization, a Michigan-based arts diversity group. This past weekend, Sphinx hosted the third annual SphinxCon, a conference devoted to promoting diversity in the arts. Welcome, Aaron. It's great to be with you. So when you joined us last May, you said American orchestras needed to devote a percentage of their budget to diversity initiatives and to establishing measurements for success. Have you seen any signs of progress since then? Not long, I know, but... Yes, we have definitely seen progress. And while certainly it's kind of, you know, in many ways serving as the catalyst for the field, you know, things are not necessarily always to the level uh, that we would like them or that we think they really need to be. But we are definitely seeing active progress, especially on the part of certain orchestras, uh, as they look to try to, uh, you know, make these impacts in terms of not only their ranks, but also their administrative staffing. So uh, name some names. What orchestras? So as we look at, for example, just in this past year, The New York Philharmonic actually not only hired an African-American player, which for a major orchestra is unfortunately rare, um, but hired into a principal player as principal clarinet, uh, Anthony McGill. And so we have seen that. We've seen some other orchestras as well that are looking at some of the repertoire that they are performing. And also, I would say, when we look at the field as a whole, the League of American Orchestras, the service organization, um, has a diversity task force that is looking at these issues that also met during their last conference and is currently developing. Uh, and I believe within the next year or two, we'll be implementing specific diversity and inclusion initiatives that will be able to impact field and provide opportunities and a knowledge base for orchestras in this area. What are you doing to make that happen? Well, certainly Sphinx, of course, is playing a role in looking at those issues to help shape what those conversations are, and to look at where our resources can best be placed to bring about a, a change and a difference. In other words, should we look at trying to expand fellowship programs for orchestras where more musicians of color can sit with those orchestras, have those opportunities, and then win standard auditions? Should we look at repertoire? Should we look at administrative staffing Let's bring in our other guests now. Weston Sprott is a trombonist in the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra, and he's also a teaching fellow in the Juilliard Music Advancement Program, which provides weekend music training to children from underrepresented backgrounds. Melissa White is a violinist in the Harlem Quartet, whose members are graduates of Aaron Dworkin's Sphinx Program. Melissa, 
Instead of going the orchestra career route, you chose to play with the Harlem Quartet. Do you think your audiences are more diverse than the average orchestra audience? I would say that it's been an interesting route, one of being in chamber music, because our audience is, it can be quite intimate. And my particular string quartet, Harlem Quartet, we work to break down the barriers. And by that, I mean, we speak to our audiences and we perform music that is from a wide range of composers. And so we feel like it's nicer to present this music in a way that will help our listeners to be more engaged while they're listening. If we want a new audience in classical music, we have to accept that when they come into our halls, they might not know how to experience what they're going to hear. They might not know what to listen for and how to stay quiet for 40 minutes to an hour. And um, I think it's our job as performers to help them listen, to help them stay engaged, and to help them feel welcomed. And the way that we do it as a string quartet is simply by speaking to them. Before we play the piece, we um, we might give excerpts. If, if it's a newer composition, we might give excerpts of a theme or a reoccurring melody they can listen out for. Yeah, I think just something as simple as welcoming them and engaging them and letting them know that we're very happy to have them. Weston, you have less chance to do that because mostly you spend your life in the pit in an opera house. Right. I think um, there are a lot of things that orchestras and the organizations that run orchestras could do to help change things. And I think uh, one of the unfortunately short-sighted things about our industry is that we hope to change our audiences, but the administration doesn't always endeavor to change themselves. And the fact of the matter is, is that if we want to have a diverse audience, we want to look out into the audience and see something that's truly a reflection of America, perhaps we should make sure that our board and the people who are helping make decisions about programming and ticket pricing and all of these things are also reflective of that society. So if you're in a place like New York and you want to make sure that you're reaching out to people who live in Harlem or Queens or Brooklyn or a different place in New Jersey, I think it would be sensible to make sure that you have people on the board who are reflective of those communities, understand the de desires and needs of those communities. And unfortunately, a lot of times in our industry, that's not exactly what happens. A lot of times, uh, the boards of, of major orchestra becomes a who's who of who's wealthy, as opposed to a who's who of who represents our city. Uh, and that would be a significant change. Uh, so I think in the immediate term, trying to make changes like that, and also doing things with the audition process uh, would be very helpful. I'll get to the audition process in just a moment. I just wondered, Aaron, if you have anything to say to what either Melissa or Weston have just said. I think that orchestras need to have the community as part of their decision-making mechanism. So whether it's repertoire determinations, whether it's the board of directors itself and looking at that, that orchestras need to reflect the communities in which they reside. You know, it's easy to say, well, on stage it's only about 4%. Uh, and I would add that while that is frustrating and we'd like that to increase, when Sphinx was founded, it was only under 2%. So we have made a difference. Uh, Progress. And we at least are on the right trajectory. We're not where we want to be, but we are at least, uh, you know, on the right road. But if we look at orchestra administrative capacity, in some ways it's even less than it is on stage. Orchestra uh, CEOs, less than 1% 
our black and Latino amongst artistic administrators, so making key repertoire decisions. It is statistically 0% across America's orchestras. Let's get back to the audition process. Weston, you won a spot in the Met Orchestra 10 years ago as a result of a blind audition. Do you think that process was handled fairly? I think it was handled completely fairly, and I really think one of the greatest things about the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra is the way that we we do our hiring process. And I wish that all orchestras across the board would do the same thing. Uh, and we've had they don't. They don't. You know, many many orchestras will have auditions behind the screen, and then when it gets to the final round, they'll raise the screen. So I always like to say the bias is delayed. And I think it's it's very interesting because when you talk about affirmative action or trying to get more minorities into your organization, sometimes the misconception of that is that people who are from ethnic minority groups are looking for an unfair advantage to get into the group. And the truth of the matter is is that people really just desire to have an, a level playing field. So one thing I can say about myself is I've won three auditions from behind a screen where the orchestras had a hiring process where the thing was done completely anonymous from start to finish. And I've never won an audition where the screen was raised. Uh, so, And I have many, many colleagues who uh, look like me who have had similar experiences, and perhaps that's coincidence, but I think more likely it's not. Players who pass a blind audition successfully often still have to play in an orchestra section uh, as a trial. So is there still room for prejudice there once they've won the audition and then? Of course, there's always going to be room for prejudice. And I'm not to say that an orchestra that has a blind audition process doesn't have any biases in the workplace after the audition is over. But I do think people are convicted by their own decisions because some people are surprised maybe when they raise the screen and they realize this is the person that I voted for. By my own knowledge, this is who I believed was the best. And I think from that point forward, their view of how they shape of how they view someone is shaped differently. Is there more that orchestras can do to generate a more diverse pool of auditionees who would be able to pass these blind or non-blind auditions? I think immediately the thing is to make sure that the auditions continue to be blind. As far as a long term, that's a discussion more about music education and making sure that we have inclusiveness and that there's equal opportunity for kids from all different backgrounds. Uh, ethnic backgrounds and socioeconomic backgrounds to get the education that they need. I think it's very interesting to hear Weston say, you know, the auditions that he won versus the auditions that he didn't win. And I can say from my point of view that I see it more on a ground level because when we go out into the community, we also go out into inner city schools and we do presentations. And oftentimes there are no music programs. And so we are the first time kids are getting to see string instruments and they're getting to see people who look like them. And I think that's very impactful. And I think that should happen more. And I think in order for minorities to be able to compete on the level necessary to become a professional musician, we do have to go back to the basics when we're very young and our muscles are malleable and we have to instill a discipline which takes a community, a network, a lot of support to allow kids of color to be on a path to compete when they're older and you know be able to win jobs that will help to reflect the communities around us. Would you say, either of you, that this is more of a class issue than a color issue? I think it is. If you look at the demographics of our country, a lot of times ethnic minorities fall 
primarily into more of one socioeconomic group. But uh, music education is definitely skewed in the direction of, of wealthier schools and states that prioritize music education have a better opportunity. We have to work to do something to make sure that people get an, an equal chance because working, I've worked with several orchestras, I, I, know, I know all of my colleagues, and it does seem like there's a large percentage of people come from a certain type of background, whether they're black or white or Puerto Rican or, or whatever, a large percentage of them come from a certain type of background or a certain socioeconomic background. Yeah, and I was just going to weigh in on to add on to that. I think that orchestras could learn from the for-profit sector. When, you know, you have a company, say, you know, a major car company, if it's located in a community that is, say, 90% people of color, it is going to not just kind of put out its standard, uh, you know, interview materials uh, or standard recruitment. It is going to say our company needs to reflect this. What can we do to broaden that outreach? So when orchestras just post an audition and kind of say, well, we'd love to have more diversity, but the musicians of color just don't show up to the audition. I think that is un, uh, unfortunate for the field and for that orchestra. Every other field, academia or the for-profit field, when there is a desire for inclusion and it's understood that that is a benefit to each institution as well as the field as a whole, they implement strategies and initiatives and make investments so that they can achieve those goals they have related to diversity and inclusion. Wait, but Aaron, when you were saying when an orchestra puts out an audition and people of color don't show up, I don't think that happens. If they put out an audition, I think everyone shows up. It's just a matter of having an audition process that is fair to everyone who shows up. Yeah, so definitely that latter part for sure. The process needs to be fair, but unfortunately, orchestras across the board often complain that musicians of color simply do not show up and that they often hold auditions where there are few, if any, musicians of color who actually audition. Uh, and so they express an issue or a challenge with that. And so our first question to them is, aha, well, what have you done to reach out <laughs> to the community in terms of building a diverse pool for your audition? But also, and this gets to things you were saying earlier relating to education, is also what are you doing to help develop the pool of potentially qualified musicians. I think there's joint contribution in something like what, what Aaron is saying. There's, there's a part being played by the orchestras, and there's also a part being played by people who are, are not showing up. But I think the orchestras in some ways have a valid point about not having a pool of candidates to choose from. And I think we need to take one step further back and look at what is the diversity in the major conservatories. And then a step back further than that, where is diversity in high school band and orchestras? And I can tell you if my experience growing up here is reflective of what a lot of other people's was, Melissa and I went to Curtis together. And we can tell you the percentage of African-Americans there was pretty similar to the percentage of African-Americans in orchestra, probably something around right around 4%. I think there might have been... Right. Five or six of us maybe out of a student population of 160. So, and that's where schools like Curtis and Juilliard and Northwestern, et cetera, are these schools that are producing the best qualified candidates oftentimes to win these auditions. So if these best schools only have such a limited number of players, how can you expect that an orchestra then on its own could have a larger pool of applicants? So you're talking, I think everybody is talking about taking it back even further than that increasing the flow through the pipeline from an early age and, and maybe mentoring? Absolutely, which is a, an enormous project. It's a huge undertaking, and there are people who are out there 
making that work happen. Like I teach at the Juilliard Music Advancement Program, and we we specifically target underrepresented and underprivileged minority students. Melissa and I had a classmate, Stanford Thompson, who's running Play on Philly, which is a wonderful program uh, based on the El Sistema approach. There's also the Atlanta Music Project. There's a lot of things out there like that. But the fact that matters, if you're looking to reach a broad base of the population, those organizations shouldn't be ones that you can name on one or two hands. There need to be thousands of them. And until we have that, I think you're not really going to have an audition process where you say our applicant pool is truly reflective of our society. And I just want to add that I think it's very important also that students who are coming to major universities and colleges for music should have classes and should be taking courses that incorporate what we're talking about. This needs to be something that is on the mind when we're formulating musicians and what they can do in the world and the impact they can have. All right. So I have one last sort of two-point question for all of you. If you ran an American orchestra right now, what is one thing that you would do differently to help this situation? And what have you seen that has made you hopeful? The second part of that question is is difficult, but I can answer the first one. If I was the, the head of an orchestra, the first thing I would do, I would make sure that my board is reflective of the audience that I want to reach. If If I want to reach a broad base and I want to look out into the audience and see a diverse group of people, I want to make sure that the people who are helping to make the decisions really understand the audience that they're trying to bring in. I think that would be an enormous first step, and I think that a lot of, a lot of orchestras at this moment are a little fearful of taking the step to allow something like that to happen, but I think it's going to be necessary if they want change, because change is not always comfortable, but oftentimes good, and we need to embrace that fact. Melissa? This is a little bit of a difficult question for me, but I'm going to answer it in a very creative way since I am not in a major symphony orchestra. I think that, first of all, we have soloed with orchestras, and I myself have soloed as a solo violinist with many orchestras, and the most exciting concerts have been the ones where the community comes out in full force, and it's an annual event that has always been an intriguing experience for them. So most recently we played in Mobile, Alabama, and they have a Jeans and Beethoven concert. And so before this concert, we were out in the community doing our typical community concerts, and everyone was saying, wait, are you here for the Jeans and Beethoven? Is this the Jeans and Beethoven? And so it had been a catchy concert that, um, you know, had infected the the community. And the whole city came out and packed the hall. They wore their jeans. They knew what to do. This was for them, by them, and they were there to support it. So I would say having um, engaging concerts that, like Weston was saying, is reflective of the community would be a lot of fun. And also, as a violinist and as an artist, I would imagine I would want my orchestra to incorporate the ideas of these spectacular musicians that we have hired. And I'm not sure, but I don't know how often orchestra musicians get to sit down and put together a project that's going to be for the orchestra and incorporate the community they want to reach. Aaron, are you still there? I am, I am. So, and uh, and just uh, loving the responses of my colleagues. So, you know, I think that one of the first things that I would do is that I would look and and say, what is the ideal in terms of this orchestra that I'm leading? What does it mean for us to be diverse or inclusive? So, I would look at the community and bring together the representatives from the orchestra and from the community to say, 
what is our ideal? What should we look like? Because that's going to be different for the New York Philharmonic versus, say, the Hershey Symphony, where I grew up. Uh, and so based on that, once we set those goals, then I would actually go about a thoughtful process of implementing both fiscal allocations to the issues so that we can actually solve them, because you cannot solve issues um, without allocating resources towards them. Uh, and that would probably affect both the representation on stage, the representation of the staff, of the board, and of the repertoire that we're performing. Um, and separate from that, I would want to look and see what do we think the ideal orchestra structurally should be like in the next five to ten years. Um, many aspects of our society and businesses are becoming more entrepreneurial, and artists are as well. So what does that mean? Kind of building off of what Melissa said, too, in terms of the membership of our orchestras. You know, many members of orchestras kind of want to have more artistic influence over things that they do. And in terms of the second part of your question, I am definitely optimistic uh, because I am seeing more conversation and more activity on the part of orchestras than ever in the history of Sphinx. So I am optimistic about the future and, uh, and optimistic about the impact that it's going to have for musicians and for all of our communities. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, all of you. Thank thanks, you. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. We've been speaking with Aaron Dworkin, head of the Sphinx Organization, Melissa White, violinist with the Harlem Quartet, and Weston Sprott, trombonist in the Met Orchestra, and part of Juilliard's Music Advancement Program on the faculty there. This has been Conducting Business. Brian Weiss is our producer. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening.